Beautiful. Thank you, team. Well, take a chair. Just bring it back if you take it too far. I'll just slide this back, Joe. Is that all right? Thank you. Very good. Well, um, if you haven't been with us, I'll recap just very briefly the last um, couple of weeks uh, before we dive in uh, to the Word this morning. Two weeks ago, uh, Bretto preached a great word from the close encounter that Zechariah had. Zechariah and Elizabeth were the parents um, of John the Baptist, and uh, we know that the angel Gabriel turned up to um, Zechariah and announced uh, to him that uh, despite their advanced years that he and Elizabeth were very old and that having a child was well beyond the reach of their um, physiological stage, um, nonetheless fell pregnant. And Bretto brought a word on doubting, um, on expiry dates, um, in that you're never too old or too far gone for God to use you. Um, he brought a word on uh, persisting in prayer, even though we don't see the bigger picture, that God does see the bigger picture and we have a responsibility to persist in prayer, even when we don't see the end or the outcome. And so regardless of where you are at in life or in your journey of faith, um, there was something deeply encouraging in what Bretto shared from Zechariah's um, close encounter with God. So I encourage you to dive back in if you haven't yet done so and um, look to that. Last week I shared from Mary's close encounter, which was equally as confounding um, as we saw God working in the most unexpected ways. Uh, he defied proper convention. We saw again that God usurped um, biological processes um, and revealed to us the ways in which God decided to bring about the new creation project in Christ uh, through the womb of a virgin girl named Mary who hailed from the backwaters of Galilee in a town called Nazareth that nowhere, no one knew where she was really from. And we drew from that word that we can expect that God will work in unexpected places, that God is at work in unexpected people. We looked at how, um, as in Genesis 1, the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters and the darkness of the deep in creation, that the, the creation of Jesus being implanted inside Mary's womb was a, uh, another new creation. It is a new creation moment where the Holy Spirit hovered over um, the, the barrenness, hovered over the depth, hovered over the darkness of her womb and brought forth life from where life was not meant to be, given that she was a virgin girl. And so we were deeply encouraged that God does bring new life from places where we least expect it to come. And that is um, a, a pillar of our faith that we see um, most gloriously in the resurrection, life coming from places that it shouldn't. Both stories that we have looked at so far um, are stories of impossibility overcome, of obstacles being obliterated, of unmerited grace and favor falling upon unlikely people, of unconventional, counterintuitive, unexpected power working through ordinary people when they least expected it. The stories of God's divine plan coming together in the human story and of God who spoke the world into motion, speaking himself into the world. 
I mean, what, a, what just a mind-blowing truth that is, that the God who spoke the world literally into motion, placing the sky and the sea and the stars and the hills and the valleys by his word, spoke himself into creation for the purposes of saving and renewing and redeeming it. At every turn, the Christmas story is jam-packed with hope for humanity as it reveals to us both the depth of God's love, yet the ways that God brings that love. His activity in the world is just so hope-giving to us because we can find ourselves in every page and in every moment. And as we come to the Word, let's pray this morning that we would find ourselves in the story of God again and anew today. Father, I pray as we uh, look to your word, Father, that uh, yeah, my words would diminish and your words would be amplified. Uh, Father, that uh, what would be chewed upon would be the, the goodness of the fat of your word and the, the bones that I've got to bring would be spat out. Uh, so, Father, may we be nourished by what you have to bring to us today. Um, let our ears be inclined, Father, to uh, your spirit as you speak to us and sift through uh, what are the, the weird thoughts of Dave and what is the prevailing truth of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> uh, well, a Christmas story isn't one just to be observed. I can find myself interacting with the Christmas story quite a two-dimensional level. Uh, we hear it every December. I've heard it every December since the day I was born, growing up, going to church. We hear the Christmas stories and it has, can be a benign uh, story in our lives where we just kind of keep it at arm's length without really interacting and um, diving into um, the beauty and the depth of the Christmas story. You know, I don't want it just to be a moment for us to observe, but for us to have our own close encounter with Jesus. And I don't say that because we're not having them elsewhere. I know that everywhere you go, um, the kingdom of God goes with you and the presence of God goes with you and you are having encounters with him um, in all of the places that you find yourself. Um, but particularly this morning, um, as we come around communion in just a little bit, um, I want for us to have an encounter with God um, through gratitude and expectation. And these are two thoughts that I'm going to bring um, out of looking at Mary's song and Zechariah's prophecy just briefly and looking at their response to the encounter that they had with God was one that was born out of a deep understanding and appreciation for the grace that has been afforded them and the favor that God has poured out in their life. They responded, Mary in particular, and we'll read it in a second, from a deep place of gratitude that God has done this and he has done this and he has done this. And we look to Zechariah and it kind of turns to um, looking at, at what we will do in response and what God will do through Jesus and through John the Baptist um, and as we find ourselves in the midst of that as well. Um, and so to that end, we are going to look at the Word. Um, so if you've got your Bible, you can open it up to uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 39. And uh, we're going to have a little bit of a powwow around uh, what happened after the angel Gabriel hightailed it out of there from Mary's home. Let me read. In those days, Mary arose... And went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. That was John the Baptist, couldn't contain himself in the womb. When, Jesus, when Mary turns up with Jesus inside of her, John couldn't contain it as a, a six-month-old in the utero just leapt for joy. What an amazing response. And blessed is she, Elizabeth said, who believed. And we looked at Mary last week when she said, um, Lord, let it be to me as your word says. She, she response was faith. And she who believed that uh, there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, as I think about this moment of Mary and Elizabeth and this interaction that they had together, it would have been so incredibly overwhelming um, in the best of ways. I mean, two pregnant ladies coming together, um, you know, outside of the fact that one of them is miraculously um, conceived John the Baptist and the other miraculously conceived Jesus, the Son of God. Outside of that truth, it's exciting to, you know, again, I haven't been pregnant and I'm not a, a woman, so it's very difficult for me to you know, say in totality how exciting this is. But I can guess that those moments where, where two expecting mothers come together and, and talk about the joy of pregnancy and the tiredness of pregnancy and the expectancy of pregnancy, it would have been an, incre- they would have been an incredible moment alone, let alone the fact that God and the power of the Holy Spirit had come upon these two ladies and had done this miraculous work in them in conceiving in the most mind-boggling, mind-bending ways that they would have just been so filled with joy. And what I love about this encounter as I sat and thought about it um, was the fellowship that they were experiencing around the activity of God in their lives. Now, this is a beautiful moment for two women to sit together. And we've just read how Elizabeth responded and how Mary responded and received. And this was a a moment that they shared together, perhaps over a cup of tea and a biscuit. Just talking about the incredible activity of God in their lives, sharing the the mind-bending power of God at work in their physical bodies. Um, like they would be sharing notes. Man, how has this worked out for you? Mary, tell me your experience. And Elizabeth, tell me your experience. They would have been trading blows for how the actual manifestation of the presence of God within their bodies was at work together. They would have had moments talking about the unmerited favor that they both experienced, both scratching their heads, looking at each other across the table or the lounge room, wherever they were sitting, looking out into the hills of Judea, off into the distance, scratching their heads going, why us? Like, like I'm just Mary from the backwaters of Nowheresville and here I am pregnant with God himself. And Elizabeth thinking, I'm 900 years old, what the heck am I doing pregnant? It just doesn't work talking about the impartation of joy as they sat in awe and wonder of what God was doing in them and through them. When I began to think of this as a vision of church at its finest, I mean, the coming together of people into fellowship who have been recipients of God's goodness, of God's mercy, of grace, 
of sharing together in the wonder of His work, being filled with the Holy Spirit, like John the Baptist in that moment, being filled with joy and responding with the proclamation of God's work and in worship of His holy and His mighty name. I mean, something so powerful in that moment for them to be in fellowship around the activity of God. I mean, what a beautiful call that is for us this Christmas. That as we are, in a way, pregnant with expectation for all that we want God to do in the world, to deliver peace, to bring healing, to enter into our stories and to renew our strength and to renew our hope. And we get to sit and converse like they did about the miraculous power of God at work in our bodies, in our hearts and in our souls. What a gift it is to be the church gathered around the miraculous, mind-bending, future-altering power of God as He is at work among us. And at some point during Mary's stay, not quite sure, she was there for three months. Um, We're not quite sure when in that period, but she wrote a song. And we continue in verse 46. And um, this is the first ever Christmas carol. Uh, I had never thought about that until I sat with this this week and thought about that is what a Christmas carol is, a declaration and a response to the goodness and greatness of God in the incarnation of Christ. To go, God is with us, He is here, and things are now changed. And this is um, an example of that, and it's beautiful. Mary said, and this is her pouring out her heart, just in gratitude for what God had done. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And soul and spirit there, it's not like, you know, with one part of her, she's, you know, rejoicing and the other part she's magnifying. You know, Luke in, in soul and spirit, he was saying with the totality of who she was, from the very depth of her being, of her heart, the material stuff, the immaterial stuff, the whole of her being, she is magnifying and rejoicing in God, my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold... From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud with the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her home. Now this song is a profound expression of Mary's encounter with God's grace and a deep expression of her gratitude for all that God had done in her. And she starts out with this language of me and my, and then it shifts to his and him and he. You know, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. uh, Every generation will call me blessed. He has done great things for me. She begins with a recognition of her need for a saviour, which there are some streams of faith out there that would see Mary as 
perfect and entirely perfect, but we know that not to be the case, that um, Mary was um, not a perfect person, that she herself was in need of a saviour. She self-proclaims this. And then the overwhelming fact that for all of the reasons in the world that she could have been overlooked, that she wasn't. And she was so blown away that God would consider her, that God would choose her, that God would find her, that God would speak to her, that God in His divine wisdom would use her for His purposes. And I found that in this song, Mary is declaring the truth about grace that Paul wrote so succinctly about when he wrote to the church in Ephesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that nobody can boast. And Mary was so unbelievably and acutely aware that the work of God in her life was not dependent on her abilities. It was not dependent on her status. It was not dependent on her wealth or her achievements or her age or her anything. It was purely and entirely dependent on the work of God in her life. And this declaration of the grace she had received then led her to a place of deep gratitude, to a declaration of all that God has done. He has looked He has done great things. He has shown strength. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty. He has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has helped his servant Israel. He has, he has, he has. And she was so filled with a deep sense of gratitude. And I see this as a vision of just true worship. The coming together of a heart that knows its need for a saviour and the confidence brought through the proven track record of God and his faithfulness. You know, this is a posture we see in Mary that we are invited to as those following and worshipping Christ in our day is to both hold hands with God's grace in our lives to recognise the unmerited mercy and love that it is nothing that we can bring Not our smarts, not our money, not our ideas, not our hard work, not our grit, not our determination, not our bank balance, not our not our anything. And we come from that place fully cognizant of the fact that we need a saviour. That in our proclivity to miss the mark, in our proclivity to be sinful people who don't live up to the standard of God, yet he has shown us such grace and mercy and chooses us. We hold hands with that grace. And we also hold hands with the proven track record of God as we look over our own lives, as we look throughout history. And not all of it in the church history is great, but some of it, a lot of it is also incredibly amazing as how God has been at work. And we can stand and we say, yes, we are so blessed and we are, we are saved by grace. Yet at the same time, we hold hands with God's proven faithfulness and we declare He has done this and He has done that and He has shown up here and He has answered this prayer and He has been there through these people when I needed them to be there and He has been and He has done and He has, He has, He has. You know, this song is a window into Mary's soul and in it we see her coming to terms with how undeserving and how unlikely and how absurd it is that the God of all creation, the holy and mighty Lord, the one who never gave up on his people, even when his people gave up on him, 
had chosen her to carry and give birth to his plan for restoration and salvation. And the most fitting and acceptable response to the grace of God and his faithfulness is gratitude for all that he has done. I'm not sure what else we can bring but our thanks. And when I consider the work of grace in my own life and how much of a knucklehead I can be, at all of the deficit in my life that is there because of I'm born into a sinful world, into a sinful body with a sinful mind, but yet I'm so aware of God's grace and I'm overwhelmed of the fact that He would choose me and love me and call me and give me a purpose. And I know that to be true for you, that He loves you and He has called you despite all odds, despite every reason that we ought to be unlovable or unthinkable or untouchable or whatever the case might be, that God's grace upon you is so powerful that our only fitting response is gratitude for all that he has done. And there are echoes of this in Zechariah's prophecy. And in response to God's grace upon him and Elizabeth in giving them a child who was John the Baptist, Zechariah wrote a prophetic song. And we skip a couple of verses and we end up in verse 68. It says, Filled with the Holy Spirit, Zechariah stood up among the people and prophesied, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and that from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High for you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways. You will give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. And just very simply here, I just want to draw our attention to Zechariah's response moving from the backward looking of he has. You know, he has that moment, blesses the Lord who has done these things. But he moves on from that, looking forward with declarations of what the birth of John the Baptist and the coming of Jesus would mean for humanity. You know, Zechariah's prophecy is loaded with expectation. Expectation of both what this means for people who place their faith in Jesus and of what God will do through them. I see Zechariah's response to God's grace in his life was very similar to Mary. He was filled with deep gratitude for what God had done in his life. But he's got this prophetic purpose to what he is saying that called forward the work of John the Baptist, of what he was going to achieve, that called forth the work of Christ and what he was going to achieve. That by extension calls us And what God will do through us in the world. That we will serve him without fear. That we will be prophets and priests in this age. 
that we will go before the Lord like John the Baptist was called to go before the Lord and prepare the way for him to come, that we will give knowledge of salvation to his people. And he points out and he goes, he will, he will give light to those who sit in darkness and he will in the shadow of death guide our feet in the way of peace. These are the promises of God of what he will do. He has and he will. I'm going to invite the band to come up and we're going to share in communion and we're going to continue to worship and be grateful and expectant this morning. So I'm going to invite you to stand up and um, I want us together to have a moment where we we, we can give voice to what God has done aloud for, for one another. Um, it will be an encouraging moment. You know, what has God done? You know, we look at Mary and this is what she does. God has done this, he's done this, he's done this, he's done this. This deep heart of gratitude and worship. And I want us to have a moment, an encounter with God together this morning in gratitude for what he has done. Um, and so before we take communion, we'll do that. So if you guys, I don't know, pick which song you want to play and just tinker away. And um, uh, let's, stand, let's stand together. Um, let me ask you, what has he done in you? I mean, maybe just a couple of words, you know, just shout them out from where you are. What has he, what has he done um, in you, through you? What have you seen him do in this community? What have you, you seen him do in your family, perhaps? What what have you seen him do? He has done. Can we, just, can we just give some voice to what he has done this morning? He has. Just fill in the blank. He has. He has. He has amazing grace. Yeah. He has provided. Absolutely, he has provided. He has healed. Yeah, we've had some cool stories of healing this year, haven't we, Deb? Yeah. What else has he done? Let's be grateful. What's he done? He's brought joy. He's restored. What else has he done? He's loved. Yeah. He brings us into his presence. He does that so often. It's beautiful. What else has he done? He's empowered. He's given gifts to us. He's given gifts to his church to go and be his people in the world. He's empowered us to live for him. Empowered, empowered us to not live out of the flesh, but live out of the spirit. Just keep in step with the spirit. He's empowered us. What else has he done? He's been the rock. We saw that in the psalm, the rock of our salvation. When the, the shifting sands of culture and the world want to wobble and shake beneath us the firm foundation he has been the rock he has he has been the rock what else has he done think about this year as we come into Christmas let's not miss the moment of encounter of deep gratitude here what else has he done he's listened yeah there's been there's been moments of deep anguish in our community where people have cried out and God has listened he has blessed everyone he has yeah. I think back to our ruthless elimination of hurry I think he slowed us down I think I've forgotten some of those lessons but he has slowed us he has steadied us he has he's held us this year what else has he done joy a refuge he's been a refuge 
He's given us peace, comfort in times of sadness and grief. He's provided purpose when it feels like purpose has been lost. What else has He done? He's fulfilled promises. Yeah. He keeps fulfilling the promise of His Word and He keeps fulfilling the things that He's kept on saying as the years roll on. He's been kind. He's been kind. He has. He's been kind. What else? inspired. He's inspired ideas. He's inspired vision. He's inspired creativity. He's inspired decorations. He's inspired, yeah. He's grown. He's grown He's grown our kids. Like he's grown our kids up. We're trying to do the best we can as parents in this church to, to grow our kids up, but invariably he does a better job than we do. And the work that God is doing in growing our kids up is just incredible and he has when I think about our Kingsway Care he, he has housed so many vulnerable people this year and I don't know what the numbers are exactly but hundreds of women and children who have been escaping some of life's most horrific circumstances and God has housed them God has given them somewhere safe to be God has given them hope in the moment. We've had a hand in being hands and feet in that, but God has done that work. God has added more properties for our Kingsway Care family to be able to be outreaching in the community. God has built more partnerships between us and other local churches and organizations who have a common heart for mission. He has done so much. Notwithstanding, the, the, the constant and perpetual truth that He's given us His Son to die on the cross for, for our sin, for the forgiveness of all of the things in our lives that just aren't right or haven't been right, that He has come to make us whole again. And we remember through His death and through His resurrection that He is the conqueror of those things and He calls us into new life. And we have the beauty um, of being able to remember that in communion, taking bread and taking the juice of remembrance of what He has done for my heart and for my life and for your heart and for your life, that He has given Himself, that He has given His life, that He has given His all, that He has given everything, that we would know life and that we would know Him. And it is only through His death that we can experience the fullness of that. And so before we do, we're going to do a we will of what we just did then in a moment. But I want us to take communion first to just mark this He has moment for us in gratitude. That He has given His life so that we would find ours. And so come and take a piece of bread and juice and bring it back to your seat. And we're going to hold it and we're going to take it together. Um, it's something we, I like to do something about taking together waiting for one another not getting ahead of each other uh, we believe the cross makes equals of us all that when we come to faith in him any status that we may have in this life is null and void 
the status we received is a loved child of God. And so we wait together and we eat together to confirm that status. That we bring nothing into this world except we are a loved child of God. Yeah, could you do a delivery? That'd be Uber, Uber communion. It's really awkward trying to eat communion with a microphone. Uh, it gets real dry, the bread in your mouth too, so I've got to take a little bit of extra time uh, to swallow it. So just give me some grace, would you? Um, <laughs> if we can't talk about the real things, then what can we talk about? You know what I'm saying? This is who we are. Deal with it. Um, let's take the bread and remember the body of Jesus that was broken for us and give thanks. cup and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, that the blood that was spilt for us was for the forgiveness of our sins, that we would come to full and true life, knowing the Father and welcomed into His family. So let's drink together. Father, thank You that You have done so much for us that you have carried us, that you've held us, you've empowered us, inspired us, given us comfort, peace, joy, hope, that you have reminded us of your love at every turn. Father, you have blessed us with church, with community that travels the road with us. Father, together we look to the hills and we say, where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord. Father, as we journey toward Christmas, may that continue to be our prayer and our declaration that our hope and our help comes from you alone. Father, we thank you for all that you have done. Well, let's shift gears. Let's do the Zechariah. We've done the Mary thing. We've done the gratitude thing. Keep doing it in your, as you go this week. Keep proclaiming what He has done, what He has done. But Zechariah, he, he invites us into this expectation of what will be. You know, looking to John the Baptist, his son, looking to the call of God on his life, that he, literally, this kid that has just been born, he will go ahead and prepare a way, that he will make the path straight for the coming of the Lord. He's prophesying this over John the Baptist with a deep sense of expectation of the purpose of God in his life. And we know that he's also talking about Jesus in this, that he's coming to bring light in the darkness. 
that he's prophesying the work of Christ as he is yet to be born into the world. And with a deep sense of what God will do, Zechariah declares, he will, he will, he will, he will. And so I'm curious to hear from us, you know, what are the the expectant parts of our heart? What are the expectations that we have of God? And this can be a vulnerable and confronting thing to do is to declare He will. But I believe this is a moment, of a, a prophetic moment for us as a church to be able to stand on what we believe God is calling us to, to what He has said to us in His Word, in the moments of quiet time where He's spoken intimately into our lives and He says that He, is, he will do this. Sometimes those things take time and they haven't happened yet and we can become doubting in those moments of, will He? But I'm sure that there are things among us this morning that we can say He will. So let's stand. And I want to hear them. Let's, he, he will. What, what will. what will He do? You know, this week, next Monday on Christmas Day in 2024, in this next season that you're entering, into the next job maybe that you're going into, into the, the next phase of your parenthood, into the next phase of life, whatever, He will. What will He do? He will. Let's hear it. He will do. What, what's He going to do? He will. Let's hear some. He, he will. He will bring wisdom. He will. He will listen. He will. What else will He do? Restore. He will restore. Broken relationships. He will. Let's let's believe that. What else? Break boundaries. Yeah, he will break boundaries. He will speak to us. He will. What else will he do? He will bring light into our lives. He promises that in the word. We've seen it, we've read it this morning. We can we can be guaranteed of that, Paul. He will bring light into our lives. God will set up a food pantry out there that will be a blessing and beacon of hope for our community. Let's believe it. He will. He will answer prayer. Yeah, He will provide a way where there seems like there's no way for the Israel and Palestinian conflict. He will. He will make a way. If he, can, if he can part the Red Sea and send half of it left and half of it right and his people travel through on dry ground, if he can make a way there, he can make a way there. He will. He will do it. Let's believe that he will. What else will he do? He will restore your two boys to himself again. bring joy yeah he will keep us safe yeah he will bring healing he will be present he will lighten the load he will carry our burdens yeah can we just take a moment just to pray collectively for some of this just to, just to raise our voice. Dave, you want to come in? Dave got something he wanted to share on this. He, uh, he will, um, just for a moment. And we'll just we'll pray into this together as a church. 
the word present was on my heart. Whoever shared, he will be present. But, um, you know, whatever we trust in God for, we often, we can feel that he may be distant or we feel a distance, but he is constantly present. And I'm reminded of the father at the gate in Luke, you know, like that son had wandered so far and he would have looked so different so worn by the cares, so worn by the brokenness, so worn by the loss, so full of wondering what was going to happen to him. But the father saw him from afar and ran to him. And I often wonder, like, how did he know it was him when he was carrying all that? But because God never stops watching us. He never stops being present. And he will run to us. And I was thinking of that whole, the stories of declaration that you were sharing. And it reminded me in Malachi chapter 3, I think it is, he goes, those that fear and love the Lord speak his name and declare it often to one another and the Lord had a book of remembrance drawn up of their names of those who feared the Lord so let us declare often to one another it made me think just very recently I met with a friend of mine who was around business and he has a deep faith in God but he sees God through an Islamic faith and as we met, we didn't even we knew why we were both there to discuss. He goes, "Come and sit." And one hour later, we were still declaring and sharing the goodness of God. His question to me is, "God's mercy or judgment the most relevant?" And I won't tell you the whole discussion of where we landed, but it was on mercy and the glory of God's name. And we spent one hour, we didn't even get to the business side of things because those who fear and love the Lord declare his name often to one another. So I will declare. Thanks, Davey. Now, well, let's, just, let's just lift our voice in prayer. We don't have to um, wait for one and the other. Just, just pray if you want to pray out loud. Just pray out loud now if you want to pray quiet in your heart. Let's just pray. It's just a noise of prayer among us of these things that God will do, of what you believe that He will do, uh, the expectations that you've got of God. If you want to shout them out, shout them out. If you want to just utter them quietly, then that's cool as well. But let's just, let's just give a moment before we sing a couple of songs of worship, of being grateful together in song. Uh, let's just pray for all of those things.
Father, we thank you that it is because of Christmas, because of your incarnation into the world that we can be grateful and that we can have these expectations. Father, because you know what it is like to live the full human experience, to be tempted with the things that we're tempted with, to know the emotions that we experience, to know the joys, the pains, the hardships, the betrayals, the you name it, you know it. You have walked it. And Father, you sympathize and empathize with us. And Father, you enter into our story. You are incarnate in our lives. God with flesh and bone, uh, but now by the Spirit, you live and dwell among us. And Father, it is because of that truth that we can hold these expectations of what is to come. And so, Father, we, we, we declare and we proclaim, Lord, that these things will come to pass, that salvation in, in lives of people that we are praying for, that there would be healing and restoration of relationships, that there would be joy and peace and provision and all of the things that our hearts are yearning for. Father, we pray and declare in Jesus' name that these things will happen. We don't know when they will happen, but we pray and, and, and put our hope in the truth that you come good on your word and that they will. That Father, reassure us this morning. Give us strength this morning. Renew our hope this morning in your word and in your promise that you will do these things. In Jesus' name. Well, I thought it would be fitting that we do a little bit more worship after the, you know, we preach. So we've kind of got 10 minutes just to finish out in, in worship this morning. Um, I think we've got the song Hosanna in there too, which is a beautiful song to sing. And uh, let's, just, let's just come with that posture of what God has done, holding hands with gratitude and with expectation. Um, and just declare His praise for the next 10 minutes before we head out and have coffee and enjoy fellowship and um, do what those girls did that day. Gather around the activity of God in their lives as we encourage one another all the more. Um, so let's sing. <laughs> 